Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey have helped a lot of people with their advice and their debt adversity. But is that one-size-fits-all advice good for you? Joining us today is Grant Cardone, New York Times bestselling author, star and executive producer of the reality TV show Turnaround King, and founder and CEO of three multi-million dollar companies to share his philosophy on good debt versus bad debt. Welcome, Grant. We're so looking forward to visiting with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Today we're going to be talking about good debt versus bad debt, and I think this is a timely subject because here we've been hovering at record low interest rates, but it's kind of a unique time because try to borrow money today. Banks have really put a clamp on things, and I think it's a lot more important today than ever that people understand how to manage their debt and what they can and cannot do, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, I think the People have this idea, just the concept, good debt, bad debt. You hear it all the time, and mostly you hear that all debt is bad debt. My friend Dave Ramsey has made that quite popular, that all debt is bad debt. And very simple people like simple calculations. But if you're in business, if you're trying to grow your business, build a business, you can't operate with just simple concepts like all debt is bad debt. Look, if I have a billion dollars in cash, then, yeah, I don't want a house payment. I don't want... Even at 3.5%, I don't want a house mortgage because I got a billion dollars in cash. I can pay off my million-dollar house or $10 million house. It's no money. But for the public, there is some forms of good debt, and people need to understand that there is in business. When you're trying to expand things, there's going to be times where you want to use debt to expand in a smart way. And there's a time when debt is just an absolutely terrible thing. It's not bad. It's almost evil. Most people actually use debt as evil, not bad. That's a good point. Basically, when you can take on debt to make money work better or be more productive for you, then that makes sense. So can you maybe give us a little more specific example? Yeah, I'll give you an example, okay? I'll give you an evil debt. Because people really should think in terms of not good or bad, but like, hey, is this going to really hurt me? Is it, is it really evil, bad? Like credit cards. Credit cards are basically evil debt. They're used for consumption goods. I put an Xbox machine or... A new phone, maybe the phone's a bad idea because I use the phone in business so I can make sense of that, but I'm buying furniture on debt. You're sitting on a sofa, okay? It's not going to produce any income. It's a consumption item. You're buying clothes with a credit card and you're paying 12% or 15 or 6 whatever. It doesn't matter how low it is. It's just dumb because it doesn't produce income. It's evil. It's basically lazy debt. Good debt, on the other hand, would be debt that actually allows you to produce more income. For instance, I have, just this past year, I took on more debt than I've ever had in my entire life combined. So if you took the whole first 30 years of my life, last year, I took on more debt than I've ever in totality. And the reason I did that was because that debt is actually paid by other people. I bought a big apartment portfolio in Florida. The portfolio pays enough money to maintain the property, take care of all the tenants, all the repairs, all the property taxes, and all the debt, and still leave me with a tremendous return on my capital investment. 
see, that's a good form of debt because I'm not paying that debt down. Over the next 30 years, that debt is being paid down by the tenants, not by me. So that's good debt. There's two simple rules to good debt. It produces new income and it's taken care of by somebody else. Now, I just want to maybe do a little bit of a tangent and explore what you just talked about a little bit more because one thing I see with a lot of clients is they do get into the rental business and they don't really know what they're doing. And I think it's really important when you look at the expenses, a lot of times people forget property taxes, maintenance. If they're doing the work themselves, they don't value the time that's in there when they're doing an analysis. And it really is important to look at the bottom line and fully look at all those things. And one other point I would make on that too I'm sure you have those things set up in a separate entity because when you're dealing with tenants, you do have a lot of liability. So if you transfer that liability to a separate entity and at the same time, debt can help limit your exposure because if there's a liability, it's your equity that's at risk. So if you paid cash for something like that, you might have additional risk that you may not otherwise have by structuring it the way you did. You guys financial advisors, y'all are so smart the way you lay things out. But you're right. Number one is I have an LLC. I don't actually own the property. Okay, a limited liability corporation owns the properties. Number two, there's a management company that helps me maintain the property. So I don't have a lot of my time invested in it. My time really was in the purchase, the acquisition, and determining whether it was a good asset for me. On your first point about most people don't know what they're doing, so they don't belong in it. Let me tell you one thing about multifamily that I love, particularly if you're getting a loan on it, okay? The bank, or Fannie Mae in my case, Fannie Mae's the lender on this loan, and then Fannie Mae sells that debt to other groups. Fannie Mae owns 75% of those properties, and my LLCs own the other 25%. They're the creditor on the deal. They crunch numbers so much in it. They're so conservative today in their estimations. I can literally use the bank, the lender, or the Fannie Mae as a partner to help me assess and understand the risk in that investment. That has been one great benefit of regulation is that the lenders, and this past bus back in 2008, is that the lenders now are so conservative that all their analysts, and they're going to provide multiple analysts on the transaction, they're going to crunch numbers so tight that if it doesn't work, they're not going to give you a loan anyway. Isn't that even a strange thing to say is in the past it was kind of like candy and now they're really making sure the deal is real, which really you can use. You almost have a team of analysts in your back pocket and really not at a significant expense to you because you weren't going to pay cash for this property. Leverage allowed you to acquire it and increase your revenue. Yeah, that's right. And allowed me to buy a portfolio I couldn't have bought. I don't have $150 million sitting around. Well, and one of the things that you say, again, is that debt is not your ultimate problem. Increasing revenue is the main issue, and that's really the point. Debt is nobody's problem, really, okay? It's not even America's problem. The The debt thing is not the problem. The problem in America is that we don't produce anything. See, the government just wants to come take something to solve the debt problem. Now, you're like, what does that got to do with the everyday guy? Well, it has a lot to do with it. You see, the government doesn't produce a product. So they're like, okay, we don't produce a product, so what we're going to do is go take something from the people to pay this debt. That's why debt is a problem in this country, because there's no solution to it. How that relates to Grant or John or Bob or Sherry is your problem is revenue. You want revenue. You want to increase revenue. Everything should be about the increase of revenue. If you look at a financial statement, as you guys do constantly for your clients, there's a reason why revenue is on the top half, because it's most important. 
right? This isn't a dessert we're eating where you put some white stuff on top and it just covers the fact that your wife can't cook. In a financial statement, man, the top half is everything. Most people spend all their time in the bottom half where expenses and debt would be. I spend only about 5% of my time on the bottom half of my financial statement. When I do, it's so quick. Cut that, cut that, let's go. The 95% of my time is built on expansion. So when I go to my apartments or any of my other three businesses, which are not real estate, I'm spending most of my time looking at, hey, how do I grow the top line? I mean, let's face it. Employees are a form of debt. An office lease is a form of debt. So when Dave Ramsey says all debt is bad debt, look, he's keeping you small. That kind of thinking. I love Dave. He's helped a lot of families get their finances in order. But you can't grow your business worried about the bottom half all the time. you got to be thinking about growth. There's no question. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's build on that. I think it's a great philosophy. you got to be aware of where you're at. You definitely need to know what's on the bottom, but really focus on the top and growth. And that's a little different concept than we're hearing by the Ramses and the Susie Ormans of the world. So I appreciate that perspective. Please stay tuned. Having a conversation with your child is like putting money in the bank. For example, every time you ask your child, So, how was your day? You've just added to your conversation trust account. And when you say to your child, Good job, son. You get double deposits. And the more you ask, the more you put away. And it's good advice to... <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's good advice to have... Stop that. <clears throat> and it's good advice to have little chats with your child as often as you can. Thank you. Because someday, when they're teenagers, it may pay off big dividends. Dad, can I ask you something? Give your family everything. Give them your time. Thanks, Dad. I think you're right. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Grant Cardone, who is the founder and CEO of three multi-million dollar companies and sounds like even more now, news contributor, author, and star and executive producer of the TV show Turnaround King. And we've been discussing this concept of good debt versus bad debt. And there are many financial experts that say the only kind of good debt is no debt. And to some, it seems nearly impossible to live debt-free. Now, before the break, Grant, you were talking about using debt as far as increasing your revenue and your income. And just last night, I was meeting with a couple and they talked about having to acquire a vehicle and they perceive that as negative. And you actually make the point Good debt will pay for itself. Even on a basic level, a payment that you make on a car is good debt if it transports you to work to make money to pay for it. So expand that point. For instance, I wrote an article recently about automobile debt is good debt. And everybody was like, that's ridiculous. There's no way a car is good debt. And I'm like, well, okay, well, that's fine. But I don't think like that. I think automobiles are a great form of debt as opposed to clothes or furniture. Why? Because what's the difference? The car gets me back and forth into the marketplace. It actually allows me to leave my home and go out into the marketplace and get money. See, there's no money at my house. Even if you're a home-based business, there's no money in your kitchen or in your living room. You're connected to the internet or to a telephone, and you're basically sending communication out into the world. So that phone line, the internet, the web, everything you spend on the web, and a car, if you use it, by the way, a car is just another form of communication. It's a line, right? I get in my car and I drive down 22nd Avenue. 
That's a line, no different than an internet line or a phone line. It's getting a communication out into the rest of the world. So these are tools that I'm using. If you buy a computer, you don't say, oh, that's bad. If you're using your computer in business, oh, I'm not going to buy a computer. Well, yeah, you need a computer for your business. You need a car to go out and meet clients, to pick them up, to bring them places. Look, there's very successful people that say a plane would be a reason to acquire debt. Now, most people are going to use that jet to show off and be the big shot, but I know guys that use jets to grow their business because they're out picking clients up, okay? They grab them, they grab them and the wife and the kids, they bring them off to a trip, and they earn business by that loyalty, that added value that they put somebody on a jet and flew them someplace, and now they acquire business as a result. I want to grow my business. If I need to take debt on to do that, I'm willing to do that, and a car is definitely for all Americans, should be considered something that is a necessary and good debt. Sometimes we phrase it to a client, or I do, is, yes, it's an expense, but you can also perceive it as an investment. If it's an investment, like you say, a piece of furniture or clothing, a vehicle transporting you and allowing you to see people and clients and generate revenue, that actually justifies the expense by the income potential. So it's just a way of perception sometimes. Yeah, and I think there's a discipline involved as well. You know, most of the people you're talking to are aware, astute, they're conscious enough to say, wait, I'm paying attention to my money. I mean, that's who's listening to your show and listening to you. I want to grow my money. I want to pay attention to my money. Money's important. Now, there's a lot of people out there that have given debt a bad reputation because they're not paying attention. They're undisciplined, not paying attention. They act like easy come, easy go. And these are the people that end up suffering and they take on too much debt. It's mostly for consumption, not for creation. It's mostly for pleasure and comfort, not for freedom. The wealthy people I know are interested in freedom, not comfort. They invest money to create freedom in the future. And the people that suffer financially in this country are those interested in immediate comfort. I want to be comfortable. You see, a lot of debt, bad debt, that evil debt I talk about, typically is used for comfort items. Oh, I'm going to go on a trip. I deserve a trip. Everybody else is taking a trip. You see, that kind of thinking is what gets people in trouble. So anytime I'm thinking like that, I'm like, oh, that's bad debt. Leave that debt alone, Grant, okay? Grow up, look for freedom, not for comfort. That's beautiful. You know, and if you're going to go on a trip, at least make sure that you're always looking for a way to generate revenue to pay for it. So everything's yeah. a business. You got to think growth. And you know what's neat for me when I travel, I always love going to another area where you realize your hometown, you kind of get used to the way they do business there. Then you go to another part of the country. As you transitioned, I know from our last show, from California to Florida, the world is different across the country. And you can apply different things in different parts of the country. I always enjoy looking at the newspapers and see how marketing is positioned and what's popular like restaurants and clubs and things. It's really neat to see what works in different markets and realizing that you can take those concepts to other areas of the country that aren't certainly experience them now. So there's always opportunity when you're traveling. You just got to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, and you bring up the move from California to Miami. That was not an easy move for us. We only did it for two major reasons. And one was a moral issue that I'm like, okay, I'm not going to sit here in California and keep complaining and criticizing the government, the state government in this case. I'm not going to be one of those people that just sits around, complains. It was a moral issue. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. I'm just going to move. 
I'm not going to continue to allow people to take advantage of a situation, in this case, the state government. I'm going to move. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to see if I can get a meeting with this guy, talk some sense into him. And if I can't, then I'm going to leave. And the second reason we did it was because I'm committed to freedom, financial freedom, not comfort. It was very difficult to pull my kids out of school, talk my wife out of her friends. I knew people there. I had 20 years of relationships in California. I had all my business there. It's very, very uncomfortable to make that move. Had to move my employees over here. That was an investment. I actually had to take on some debt to make the move. Well, why? Why would I do that? Why would I make a decision? Because I immediately grew the top line of my business by 13.3% because I'm not being taxed. So it was a freedom move for me. And if I need to acquire a little bit of debt to get that accomplished, I will. I can just tell you guys, the first quarter of this year was the single biggest quarter I've ever had in my career. And part of that was due because I moved, because all of a sudden I see this money coming in that wasn't being taxed by the government. I was able to reinvest that money, that 13%, back into my company, actually was able to expand the employees, even pay debt off because I didn't have the state income tax, and grow my business. My top line grew as a result. Well, you're not afraid of change, Grant, and bottom line is you certainly took advantage of the opportunity of change being a positive, and it's amazing how we certainly counsel clients, whether it's a job change or a business change, usually it's what you make of it, and sometimes it kind of reinvigorates you, and so generally change can be for the better, and you certainly have experienced that. Hey, as we're running a little short here, I wanted to ask you about the point that you make that the middle class is really a myth, and you're either rich or poor. So invest in things that are not going to go away, like real estate and things like that. Just expand on your philosophy as far as the middle-class myth. Yeah, I don't think there is a middle class anymore. I think this is just a concept used by politicians to make everybody feel like everything's all right. You're better off than other people. See, that's what the middle class says all the time. Things aren't great, but we got it so much better than other people. There's 200 million people that have that conversation every day. The guy makes 70 grand a year. You know, we can't make ends meet, but, you know, we got it better than most people because we make 70,000 a year. Or the guy makes 100 a year. Him and his wife work 70 hours a week, 140 hours together. They can barely get home to the kids. They don't really have a life together. But we're making 100 grand, and we're better off than the other people that don't make 100 grand. This is what the middle class tells itself every day, to make itself feel good, because it's been sold to you that there's a poor, a middle class, and the rich. That's not true. There's really just the poor, the rich, and the wealthy. And that's it. I know nobody likes this conversation. Everybody gets really, really uncomfortable when I bring this up. Because probably most of the people listening to this show are sitting in this middle class. They've identified themselves with this place called the middle class. And you're being told that you're better off than others that are poorer than you. But the reality is, if you look at the last four or five years, this is the class that's at risk. The poor didn't get poorer. The middle class got poorer. The poor can't get any poorer. The rich and the wealthy got rich and wealthier. The middle class shrunk, and the poor just stayed the same. It became a bigger poor, but they're still poor. People need to understand the middle class is not a place of comfort. This has been sold for 40 years in this country, and it's sold by politicians because they need the votes of the middle class. Look, the rich and the wealthy don't care. Michael Bloomberg, billionaire, okay, he's out there worried about sodas, all these what appear to be liberal things. The guy is a capitalist disguised as a liberal that cares about what people drink and whether they carry guns or not. It's just a scam. And the middle class is a scam. It's a complete scam built on you got to get an education. You got to have the same job. You got to be careful. 
going out on your own is dangerous. You need to work for somebody else, and it's just a myth. That's a great point, Grant. And I think back to the ideal middle-class America. Mom stayed at home and raised the kids and cooked the meals, and Dad was home by the time the kids got home from school. A lot different. Now it's a rat race. You look at the amount of credit card debt. Credit card debt wasn't even invented yet for the most part, and people are way overspending on these comfort things that you talked about. And that brings us to our next point, and that is saving. When I first got in the business, the experts were saying you needed to save 10% of your income if you wanted the same lifestyle. Now I start to hear 15%. I know that that's probably not enough money, and you bring up the point 30% should be saved. And I think the average saving rate in America, the net saving rate, is in the low single digits. Expand upon that, and I think this is a message everybody needs to hear, especially that poorer middle class. Look, the savings rate today is 2.7%. That's what Americans are saving. This is as low as it was back in 2008. So what happened in 2008? The world came to an end, right? It didn't come to an end. It just became obvious what problems we have, and that's going to happen again. So I'm telling people, look, you need to save 30% of your dollars. The reason that is not a popular conversation, the reason the numbers are 10 and 15 is because the people giving that advice can't imagine George going out and making more money. He thinks that that guy's giving advice based on George. George can't make more than 40 grand. And I'm saying, so if George can't make more than 40 grand, then he's like, all he can save is 10 or 15%. So he doesn't tell George the truth. And I'm telling George the truth. George, look, dude, you need to save 30% of every dollar. And then George is going to say, it's impossible. I only make 40 grand. All the money's gone to these things. And he's right. And there's nothing left to cut for most of the Georges in the world because he's cut everything. But he still doesn't save 5%. And I'm saying, George, you got to save 30. He's like, well, how do I do that if I only make 40? Dude, you got to quit making 40. You got to figure out how to get to 80. You got to figure out how to get to 90. I don't care what you have to do. Your life depends on saving 30% of your income. And if people understood their life depended on something, they would do it. As soon as 2008 hit, the savings rate in this country went from 2.7 to 6% overnight because people were terrified. And the middle class in America should be terrified right now. You should be more scared today than you were in 2008. But everybody's getting the warm and fuzzies right now. Things are better. The economy's good. The stock market's going up. It's 15000 Look, the middle class didn't get affected by the stock market going up. That's the rich and the wealthy. So people need to save more money. And the only way to save more money is not to cut. There's no places left to cut for most people. The only place is that top line that I go back to. Grow the top line. If you need to get a second job, get it. Well, and also you kind of further that point by saying invest in things you know over time will pay you money whether you're there or not, which is another great point. If you want to move towards a retirement goal, don't create investments that demand your time. Use tools that allow you to not necessarily be there and generate money for you. I'm guessing, Grant, that you're not interviewing the tenants in your new property that you bought. You're not managing, you're not clipping the grass. You purchase that property with things in place that manage it for you. So that's what you got to look at for long term. Hey, we're right near the end, and I apologize because we could probably go for hours with you. I do want to at least share with our listeners all the resources that you make available because you've written five books since 2008, and you have a couple of websites I want you to share. But one final point, too, is the concepts you share today. A lot of people, this might 
be a little scary for them. So naturally, go back to your advisor, sit down with them, and work with them on smart ways to structure debt. It is an opportune time in the marketplace today with interest rates where they are. And if you're thinking of expanding your business, you got to get that perception out of your head that, again, a new vehicle or buying an apartment building or something like that is a negative thing. It's understanding how to best structure that. And most advisors you meet with today will be able to analyze the tax aspects of that. I'm sure, Grant, you don't do this all yourself. You have a team of people, right? Yeah, that's right. And you got to employ those, whether it's attorneys and accountants or financial advisors at different phases of your life. The real simple message is don't go it alone. So how do people access some of the resources that you make available, not only your five books, but even mention your websites and what they can help people do? One thing everyone should get, it. you can get it for free, is CardoneSuccess.com. CardoneSuccess.com. That's a weekly newsletter I'll send to you via email. Follow me on Twitter. At Grant Cardone is a great resource. I actually use that to give people information on what they need to do with the news. There's also a site called, obviously, GrantCardone.com. I mean, you Google me, you can find a lot of free resources from what we offer to the community. All right. And I know that you've got CardoneOnDemand.com, CardoneUniversity.com. And again, you've got five books, Sell to Survive, The Closer's Survival Guide, If You're Not First, You're Last, The Ten Times Rule, and Seller Be Sold. Fantastic day today. We've had you back now twice. I'm guessing by popular demand, but the way you think and your philosophy, we'll probably have you back again. So, Grant, thanks for sharing your valuable time with us today. Congratulations on your successful move from one side of the country to another. I think Florida is better off to have you, and we certainly are too. Thanks for sharing your philosophy with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.